0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Hey, friends. Okay, so first things first, I had laryngitis over the past weekend, and that means it has been harder to record podcast episodes. But I am here and I am bringing on longtime co-host Carrie Fortin to talk about, well, we talk about Everything. We talk about the episodes that we've recently released. We share our thoughts on some of the episodes that are coming up. And today's conversation that is as rich as it is varied, we talk about why birth is so traumatic and how to think about it, not just in creating plans, but in creating preferences and what we joke as bumpers. We talk about how to heal all those little T traumas, not the big T traumas that are really important to go to specialists and therapists about, but those little traumas that happen to everyone and why the power of storytelling is so important. We touch on why authority and power structures happen in the medical establishment and how and why it is important to remember that you are also an expert because you are the expert of your own body. And we tell a story that moved Carrie to tears when she heard it. Lastly, we give our top three recommendations of recent news items and noteworthy press. And yes, that means we talk about Amy Schumer's newest Netflix special, Growing. In addition to the surprising, or is it surprising, ways that all tech tools have been designed for men and why there are hidden dangers to women's bodies as a result. This is all part of today's episode, including the backstory of how I got laryngitis, but I am still here to share this episode with you, although hopefully I will let Carrie do most of the talking. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Hey, hey, I made a thing and I want to tell you all about it. It's one of our new guides and it's up on our website. One of the biggest struggles in my business isn't coming up with new ideas or doing more. One of the biggest challenges is focusing, figuring out how to do less, and making sure I have clarity about doing just the right things. I wish I could say that I had it all figured out and I have a magic wand to make life easier. Poof, presto, but not quite. But what I do have is a structure of questions, just three questions that I return to time and time again, that helps me sort myself out whenever those piles of to-do lists are getting way too long. It's a three-step process, and I walk you through how to do it and what it looks like. Three questions for clarity, simplicity, and a new superpower, which is saying no to the things that you don't actually need to do. If you want the free guide, head to startuppregnant.com slash stop. That's startuppregnant.com slash stop, S T O P. And you can grab the guide for free. The link is also in the show notes. It's our freebie guide for figuring out what to drop, how to do less, and how to simplify your business whenever you feel the chaos descending upon you. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Sarah. Well, this is a special episode. I'm glad to have you here.
1: I'm always glad to be here talking with you.
0: So what time did you wake up this morning and what was the first thing that you did?
1: Okay, so this is, it's so funny because I feel like people are always like, well, today was a little different. And I'm like, my day today was different because it was amazing because my 15 month old woke up at 8 (laughs) a.m. Stop. It was 8.01 when I first heard a peep from her and I didn't like, I don't have a clock around and I was like, you know, looking and my husband was already stirring and it was, seemed really light in our room. So I was like, huh, I wonder what's going on. And then I was like, oh my God, it's eight. We all slept till eight for the first time in years. So it like was kind of And like the sun
0: dreamy. streams through the curtains and like the angels are singing and everything and- is... <laughs>
1: It is so true. I'm. We've talked about this. I'm such a sleeper, and so for me, it like it just changes the whole tenor of the day. So that was spectacular. I'm like, and then after that, I don't know. We ate, we played. It was fine, but I slept late, <laughs> and that's what really matters.
0: Oh my god, I'm so jealous. For people listening, if you can tell, I have a little bit of a scratchy voice. So I got laryngitis over the weekend. I did a solo weekend. My husband went out of town for three days to have a like. vacation, the first time being completely alone. In, I mean, my kid's almost three, so (laughs) in a while, in a beat. And we do it for each other. He actually supports me a tremendous amount because I travel a lot. But he went away. I started to get sick. I was like, oh, no. And I tried to teach my yoga class anyways. And I went and I just blasted my voice, completely lost my voice. And then, you know how the cold works its way through you? You're like, mm-hmm. first, it's like a little in your head. You're like, oh, maybe if I swallow a lot of raw <laughs> garlic, it'll go away. So I was, <laughs> I was like drinking lemon juice. But last night, I will say, was just terrible. I was up till 3 oh, a.m. Oh. coughing. And this, I'm not proud to admit it, but like I woke up at 11, I tried to go to bed at eight. Didn't fall asleep till like 11. Fell asleep for like 10 minutes. Then I went and got like, I was like, I'll just take another dose of cough syrup. Took another dose of cough syrup. Midnight, I was like, I'll just take some Advil. Took some Advil. And by 2 a.m. I was like, Benadryl? Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I can get, I will get, I would like to be asleep, please. So... I don't even know what happened this morning. My husband, he it's its Wednesday on the day of this recording, so he takes the kids to school. I think I woke up at 10.30. Yes,
1: good, Sarah. <laughs> You're such an early bird. And so I feel like for you, that's a very good like moment of self-care. Also, I'm all for the medication when it really comes down to it. It's so funny because I'll avoid taking things for like all kinds of illnesses or whatever, but for sleep- I take that shit so seriously. I'm like, no. I know. (laughs) Melatonin gummy down the hatch.
0: (laughs) Totally. Except I feel like that weird, A, I didn't wake up at the normal time. And B, I feel kind of hungover. I am, right? Because I'm trying to flush all these, like the Advil and the Benadryl out of my body. And so I just feel stupid today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which is going to make for such good conversation.
0: It'll be so great. So, well, actually, and some great things happened before I like run out of voice. Today, we had our very last mastermind conversation for the first Start a Pregnant Mastermind. And it was so amazing. And I had Angela who works with us there. And she, I was like, can you be my voice? Can I like write a Google doc? And then you like, like, can you? And she was like, yes, of course I can do that. So it was amazing. And we had our closing ceremony and I was so grateful for everyone. And it was kind of ironic because the whole point of the mastermind is to show up as you are. And I was like, Hey, hi. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But people listening, so this is going to be a really fun episode because one of the things Carrie and I have been talking about behind the scenes is what this podcast is and does and how we wish sometimes we could pause and have a conversation about all these episodes and all these amazing women we get to interview. And so Carrie and I were like, why don't we do that? So this is our first episode of taking a moment to look back at a couple of the episodes and look forward at some of the episodes that are coming and then also to just chit chat like friends because we are friends because that's how <laughs> this works <laughs> and true full disclosure I Carrie and I were talking and we were like let's have Carrie talk more since laryngitis so <laughs> Carrie I want to turn it over to you and first talk about this episode that we have coming out next week with Lisa Hendrickson Jack because both you and I have been listening to it while it's been in production. Tell me your response to this episode.
1: I well, So it's so funny because I immediately as I got to this part, I was reading the transcript and I got to this part and I like uh, my heart was in my throat. She well, Lisa sounds like an incredible woman and she helps other women understand and chart their cycles and really look at how their cycles just give us another like pathway into understanding our health and well-being. But in a particular segment she's talking about how within the medical profession, patients and female patients in particular, like their opinions and their desires are often ignored and we're often looked at as like a bundle of symptoms to be cured with medicine versus a human who's having these experiences. And something Sarah, and you had shared this with me separately, and I'm I'm guessing that you got it from Lisa, but also hearing it from her again, this idea that in any room, anytime there is a patient and a doctor, there are two experts in the room. The doctor is a medical expert, and we know this, right? They wear that very proudly. They have a lot of training. This is very important. But at the very same time, you, the person, the patient, are the expert on your body and your experience. And I just think for women, you know, in fertility experiences, in pregnancy, in childbirth, and post-childbirth, it is so crucial. I was telling you, I wish I had like a bracelet I could strap on every time I go to the doctor so I can just remember this and hear it for myself to say like, okay, yeah, I get that this is how it normally is. And I'm just telling you, this hurts me, you know, or like I'm telling you. I know you say it's normal, but it doesn't feel okay to me. And just like stepping into that power and and Lisa really makes it clear that like it's hard work. It is not always comfortable. Sometimes you might say like she's talking about how women who have copper IUDs inserted. The medical understanding is that we don't really have nerve endings where these devices are being inserted. But lots of women say it's an incredibly painful process. And so for me, I like get teary-eyed because I can put myself in this position and I've been in different but related positions where a woman is, you know, sitting there and the doctor says, this isn't going to hurt. And then the woman says, oh my God, this really hurts. And the doctor says, well, it shouldn't. I can't even
0: stand it because it's like... Uh,
1: Right? Oh, it makes my skin crawl and it makes me want to cry.
0: Because it's like, no, it is actually hurting to me and I'm giving you information. And me being here in real time, documenting the experience should be not even just a data point, but it should be like a really loud note for you, like real feedback, real time. And then for doctors to diminish it and be like, well, it shouldn't is so undermining and so hurtful because then you start to doubt yourself. You're like, well, then I'm not normal. I should not be experiencing what I'm experiencing. And then the whole loop between you and like being in connection with what you're actually feeling, it's mind boggling. Right, it is. And
1: especially with things like, you know, dealing with your birth canal and these like, that is such a personal internal, like we have access to organs via our vaginas. And so maybe it doesn't seem like it, but like you are like a doctor is putting something into an internal organ. If you say you're having an experience, like that is real. That is truth. People might have a variety of experiences. It might not be that common, but that doesn't mean it's not real. And so I just like, (laughs) stared at myself in the mirror and practiced this like psych up top where right? I'd be like, okay, doctor, please stop. This is my experience. I know you might not think this is normal, but I'm telling you this and it's the truth. And I was like, I just, I'm going to like psych myself up in the car before I go into my doctor next time. I mean, I love my doctor. She's amazing. But anytime I have to see somebody else or, you know, get pregnant again, or have an ultrasound or something else going on, I just want to remind myself that like, It might be uncomfortable, but what I owe myself past, current, and future is to just say like, no, this is my experience and this is real.
0: And the thing that's so important, I think, and I wish someone had told me is that like the way that our medical establishment is set up, you may see lots of different doctors and during something as intimate as birth, you may not actually see the doctor that you saw the most during your pregnancy. And so the person that's carrying the most information about you is you. And it doesn't matter how – like, the doctor has a really wonderful – this is, I think, the most generous approach, right? Like, the doctor has a wonderful wealth of resources and knowledge about births in general. And they can see things that we can't see, which is wonderful to have as one of the co-experts in the room. Like, it is great to take their advice and their counsel. And they will strongly recommend for and against things based on their body of knowledge. But your body of knowledge is your body and you as a person. And like – Our job as people is to collect data and be responsive and be aware about ourselves and to say, you know what, like most people might react like this, but I don't react like that in the room. I'm actually this kind of person or that doesn't feel right to me. I need to stop. And, you know, I remember during the birth of my second son. I went in, I actually went to the hospital twice. So we went in when we were like three centimeters. The doctor said, come right away. Second babies come faster. So like, don't wait. It's different for the second baby. It's not, you know, 411 or 501. It's like, baby's coming, come on in. She said, it's much more likely with a second baby that you have the baby in the car. That's that's <laughs> that's the that's when you hear about second, like babies being born in the car, it's the second baby. I was like, oh, okay. So we went in at three centimeters dilated. It was 3 a.m. on a Friday night, Saturday morning. And we get there and then I'm like back to one and a half and nothing is moving or progressing. And the doctor comes in and I really like my doctor, but she had been awake for like 36 hours. So she had had like three Red Bulls and she was like, let's get this show on the road. (laughs) (laughs) Like I think she was ready to go to sleep and I was like in contractions. And so she had her hand inside of me and she was like, I can just sweep this. Like we can just go, like we can kick this on. And and this – is not important but it's also like relevant. I knew that she was going on vacation. She had a week of vacation planned and it was her only week every year and it was the day after my kids due date. So we all kind of had some anticipation of like let's get this baby out while you're the, still the doctor. <laughs> like so mm-hmm. that I don't have to be around someone new. And so all signs were like we can just sweep your membranes, you're 40 weeks on the dot. Let's you know, let's let's go go go. Or 39 weeks 6 days and I just remember I just like shrank up and I was like no and my internal reaction was like I don't want to I'm not ready and I couldn't articulate everything but I just shouted no and then I turned and looked at my husband I felt really embarrassed and ashamed and I started crying and the doctor she was like I'm gonna give you a minute and she left and then my husband was like what's going on And I couldn't like now I know retroactively, but I just know that I knew that I didn't want to do it and that should have been enough. And I'm really so grateful now. My future self is so grateful to my past self that my past self said no. And I know now that like I wanted like the thing I can articulate with words now that my body felt was like. I was 39 weeks, six days, and my body was having contractions. So this baby was coming. There wasn't anything obstructing it. So I didn't need to push it along faster. I was already like in active labor and things were going to happen. And so the doctor came back in and she was like, you know, I'm going to have to send you home because like we only have so many rooms in the hospital. And I said, that's fine. So we got in the hospital yeah. and we went home. <laughs> I was pretty tired Sarah, at the end of the weekend. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead, Carrie.
1: but... Right that's amazing. I just think right I I think about how many times my like younger self would hear my body shouting no and not have allowed it to come out of my vocal cords. Yeah. And so I love that even though you couldn't put the label on it, you knew and you said it. And I also have to say too like in the dream scenario You're on a team, like everyone in the room uses their co-expertise to create a scenario that is like beneficial and healthful and wonderful. And so it's not like you need to gear up for an adversarial experience, which I, kind of feel like I was talking about earlier, I I have so many friends who are doctors and some very close friends who are OB-GYNs. And so to hear their story and to see them in the night and hear them talking about delivering babies and to know how like beautiful and sacred and amazing they think it is and how it's also their job. And they do it all the time. And my friends sometimes will come home from like, you know, being on call at night and have delivered 11 babies. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, right? my God. And so I'm like, she is amazing. She is like a surgeon. She is a rock star. I am floored by her skills all the time. And she walks out of a room and into another room and sees other people. And so, like, I really think standing in this space of like, this doctor is hopefully on my team and on my side until they prove otherwise. And, I am here in my body in this room, and I am the one who's like really has to be grounded in what I'm experiencing and saying that really clearly. It was wild.
0: And the coolest thing was the next day, we actually went home. I had contractions like every 30 minutes for another 24 hours. So not much sleep because it's hard to sleep in 18-minute increments, <laughs> speaking of sleep. But then, and in fact, I sat at the dinner table with my in-laws who were in town to watch our older son. and. I had contractions and I would just like lift one finger and point to my husband and he knew and he would enter it into the app, but we didn't actually tell my in-laws I was having contractions, (laughs) (laughs) which was wild. And they were like, what's going on? I was like, stomach pain, you know, and they're like, okay. I think they were also just really attuned to not probing. So they probably knew what was going on, but they were just, they're like, we're going to feed the toddler. Here's some food. We know you need food. Do you want to get back in bed? You're probably tired. Like that was their wonderful kind of branch of support. And when we got back and we went through the whole birth experience round two, like Sunday night, nothing like getting a taxi at 2 a.m. on a Saturday too. Like the taxi cab is like, hey, just took people to a party. And my husband was like, not a party, baby delivery, slow. Can you drive slowly, (laughs) but fast, but like no bumps, avoid all the potholes. (laughs) And when we got there, it was so cool at the end. I asked for an epidural because it was so hard and it had been like 36 hours. And then I didn't end up getting one because Henry came so fast. And my doctor, when I asked for it, was the person who was on my team. And she was like, are you sure? You said you've been telling me you don't want one. And so she put a little pushback in the way that you want a coach to Like, I've got what you want in mind and what you've been telling me. And my husband was on the other side being like, anything you want, I will sprint out and find these anesthesiologists. You can have everything. But Mm -hmm. having both people that felt like they were on my team standing for all sides of me and what I wanted was just amazing. And I ended up not having one, which is what I had hoped for, but I also didn't have a problem having one if I wanted it.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. And so this reminds me of this book that you and I have been talking about, I feel like nonstop, because I am obsessed, called Like a Mother. I was gonna say, like a mother? I do not, (laughs) right? Like a mother, because I don't, and I don't have the book with me, but the subtitle is A Feminist Journey Through the Culture and Science of of pregnancy. Pregnancy and Birth. Yeah. Yeah. Pregnancy. Okay. Well, there. Okay. I'm pretty proud of myself for that. (laughs) Pat myself on the back. Okay. But anyways, she has this chapter where the author Angela is talking about her birth and how things really don't go according to her plan. You know, she wanted a natural birth. She wanted all kinds of things. And she ended up with an emergency C-section after all kinds of really serious, you know, medical issues arose. And she says that she actually felt great about her delivery like it wasn't what she expected but it was amazing and magical in its own way and she then goes on to study like why is it that so many women reflect upon their birth and view it as traumatic and what she says is that it's really not about whether we end up on the like path that we had expected or that we had hoped for it's much more about if on our journey to giving birth we feel safe and supported and heard Yeah, And I just was like floored by that because I know so many really amazing women in my life who, when they tell their birth story and they, and might call it traumatic, I think to myself, I'm like, Oh, that sounds a lot like my birth story. And I thought mine was okay. You know, like I had back labor, I had to get an epidural. Like my doctor was like elbow deep trying to turn my baby over what, like right while she was crowning, like it was kind of hardcore, but it was also amazing because At every step of the way, my doctor told me what was going on, gave me several options, let me think it through. I had my husband there who was like, absolutely whatever you want, same as your partner, Sarah. And I had my doula there who also acted as this like, you know, she knew what I wanted. She also had been with me in this like 36 hour labor and just, I I don't know, I'm so grateful for her. But so my experience was just like heard, supported, seen, safe, and women can have any kind of birth and not feel that way, and that's how they reflect on it as being traumatic. And I think that that, like, there is this one nurse who's come up with these standards for how we can make sure that you know all patients, but women delivering in particular, can feel safe, supported, heard, and it just seemed crazy to me that like. I mean, it was some significant percent, like 30% Mm -hmm. of women genuinely look back on their birthing experience as traumatic. Makes me really sad.
0: Yeah, you know, it's wild because we had Kimberly Ann Johnson on the show and she talked about, of course, birth is traumatic. It's one of the biggest experiences you'll ever go through and you haven't been through something like this before. And then also okay. our pelvis and our birth canal is the seat of a lot of historic trauma. Like lots of women have been abused or have shame around sexuality or like don't have access to understanding themselves and their sexuality yet. And so this journey to give birth, like thinking that we can just use our birth canal and dissociate from. from. From anything else that it's related to is a strange concept in and of itself. So I love if people haven't listened to Kimberly's episode, she's like, Of course, birth is traumatic in some ways, and here's why. But oh Carrie, you just gave me the chills. Heard, supported, seen, and safe. Those are the feelings that you want. And if you feel like people have your back, or somebody says, Hey, we want to keep you and your baby safe, we're gonna we recommend a C-section. Here's what's going to happen are you on board with this? You can have an amazing C-section experience and not feel overwhelmed by it all. That's fascinating.
1: Right. Versus the people who will use words like before I had even said, yes, they were like undressing me, like rushing me down the hallway, like tearing me open and ripping the baby out. Like you can hear in the language how like violating it sounds. And it feels, and of course, exactly as Kimberly says, like something is coming from deep inside of our organs from, you know, and a pathway either out like through our abdomens or through our vaginas and just like how deeply personal and how many stories are like seated in those places. Hmm. And so the idea that we would be anything other than like extra cautious, extra aware, I don't know. And the idea that like on some level it's, it's like just, a bedside manner issue more than it's a medical issue. You know, it's really just like taking the time to explain to someone, to hear them and to speak to them in a way where they can really comprehend you. Cause that's the other thing, right? Like our brains are in this crazy sort of whirlwind shutdown, like primal experience when we are in this active labor. And so, how we can even hear or communicate or comprehend is really different.
0: Mm. That reminds me of one of those stories. I think it's from the Ina May Gaskin book of a woman who her husband would say like You're marvelous," and would whisper it to her while she was going through contractions, <laughs> and she just always got this like tingle, and she was like, oh, "I'm amazing." And I and I told my husband that actually, this pregnancy, I was like, "You can't overtell me how great I'm doing. Like, you yeah, like just you know hold yes. my hand and tell me how good of a job I'm doing, and just constantly." And he did at the very end. He was like, "You're doing so great," but he was crying too. And like, I believed him because I think he was saying it authentically. He was crying. He was like, "You are so amazing. I cannot believe you're doing this. Like, look at what you're doing. You're like bringing our son." And oh my god, it was the best thing ever. And he was like, "He was like, I was running back and forth between your head and your butt because I was on all force. And he was like, "I was watching his head come out, and you were like almost pooping on him, and then I'd run to your head and I tell you you're doing awesome, and then I run to your head, and the nurse would like wipe poop up, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like that's what it feels like." <laughs> God,
1: Sarah, that's so amazing. You know, and here's the thing, everyone deserves whatever kind of journey they want. But I've always felt this way. And my husband was like, sort of prude ish before we we're going <laughs> in. And he was like, I don't know if I'm going to want to watch. And me having seen my sisters give birth, I was like, you're gonna want to watch it is the most mind exploding exceptional, extraordinary thing you could ever hope to witness. Like, we will still have sex, it will be fine. (laughs) Like, come on, give me a break. And that being said, you know, if your partner doesn't want to watch or you don't want them to watch, uh, more power to you. But I just think that sometimes when you're in the moment, you're like, look at this wonder that is occurring.
0: Right, a, you wouldn't like human is being born. You wouldn't Sorry. want to walk into a Dunkin' Donuts and be like, "Oh, a vagina giving like that." would Be a little startling, but like <laughs> if you're there and you've been with all the contractions and the like crescendo that is birth, yes, it's yes. your yeah. But that reminds me, what you said is like I think one of the most important things we can do in healing. And also in just like internalizing and processing, which is something that needs to happen. When you have such an amazing event like birth, and it is more than, bigger than, like inconceivable to what you have ever experienced, processing is, is not something that happens in a second. It's not like you go home from the hospital and you're like, well, I have a baby and all is good. Totally right. fine now. And so much emphasis is placed on the woman too. And the parents like, you have a healthy baby. Great. Goodbye. And what was different for me this time around that I'm realizing now only just by speaking to you is I went to a six week postpartum mother's group and we told our birth stories in six different ways over those six weeks, like through the lens of our bodies, through the lens of our minds, through our parents. We had to imagine like our grandmothers giving birth to our parents and then our, and then them giving birth to us. We told the story of our births, not just the babies we had made, but us being born. And we did like this imagination exercise of like, what was it like when we arrived in the world? And in telling the story over and over again from all these different angles, you can, I don't know if healing is the right word, but you just start to integrate. I think integrate is the right word. All of these different parts of it. And you realize that I feel like you should tell your birth story for the year, the 12 months following birth. And it should be to your friends and to other women and to your partner or to your parents or to whoever it is that is in your circle. You tell a piece of it. And each time you tell a piece of it, you like integrate it more fully.
1: Yes. I mean, I don't <laughs> I'm like what's something smart to add to that besides <laughs> where yes. But I just like in my gut, right? I had a like a a postpartum mom's group also. And it was really focused more on breastfeeding, but we had one woman come one time and have us tell our birth stories. And it's amazing too, because you tell your story, you integrate it, and then you hear this other room of women. And for us, it was like, everyone had given birth within five days. We all had these, you know, infants who were the same general place and same general thing. And so some women would have something similar. Some women would have something different. Some would have what I would have called like my ideal birth going into it and had a different experience. Like we all had these stories. And so I think there's a part of it where you're like, I'm unique. This is different. This is one of the biggest moments of my entire life. And, you know, if we're lucky, we can say that in a good way, but it's a huge moment regardless. And yet I also join in all of these women and my ancestors who are doing this work of giving birth all of the time. Mm.
0: Carrie, I love this. Okay, so I want to, before we get into talking about Amy Schumer, because I know that we're, I have that on my notes here. I was like, ask Carrie about Amy Schumer. Before <laughs> we get there, I want to I wanna look back and ask you about the last three episodes. So for people who haven't had a chance to listen to episodes 104, 105, or 106, what's a nugget from each episode just for people listening? Because we have Vanessa Van Edwards who talked about her It was like her part two about the transition of becoming a mom. We have Whitney Johnson who talked about building great teams and building a career and a life around like travel and being very ambitious. And then we have Iman Getty who talked about her like her journey into motherhood and how it actually opened up a portal for healing her childhood traumas. So yes, let's start with Vanessa. (laughs) But where do you want to start? I'm like, there's
1: so much good stuff. No, let's start with Vanessa. There was so much. So I remember you and I spoke about her interview before I heard it or read the transcript. And you said, you know, it's just really amazing because she she really is so open, you know, because you, we got to hear from her before she gave birth. And we got to hear all of these plans and then got to hear what happened, you know. So she and her husband co-own and run a business. And she had all of these amazing plans for maternity leave. And then they had like a business crisis, I think at day 12 postpartum for her, that really required some like serious focus and attention and work hours from her. And she talks about how, you know, she had really built this business with the intention of... The flexibility that it would give her, and then feeling really, I think she uses the word betrayed. I don't want to put that in her mouth if that is not the word, but she used that she word used really You're strong. Right. Which, yeah, yeah, right, which really jumped out to me, feeling betrayed by her business. And it's funny now that we're using this sort of like framework of trauma, it's almost like this something really unexpected, really not what you wanted, and not feeling great. Like, I think she felt just. I don't know, just pulled in this direction that she had not anticipated. And I think it was really potent for me. You know, I I hope to have another kid. And my first maternity leave was not what I'd expected for a variety of reasons. And I think what Vanessa does for me, it like... In a way, hearing this hard story, it still makes me more optimistic because she put great systems in place, she laid great plans, and she had a bunch of learnings that I think were really helpful, like getting back up and communicating with your team and other things. But it also makes me realize like in this world of working for yourself or running a business, there's only so much predictability that we get. It's just like having a kid, like you don't know when you'll give birth. You don't know if they will be a sleeper. You don't know how breastfeeding will go. You don't know any of that ahead of time. And you can lay really good plans and it can end up totally differently. And so in a way I felt like very liberated by that almost. Like I have this intention for how my next maternity leave might go, but I'm also trying to build in place systems for the idea like, what if I'm having surgery? What if baby and I are in the hospital? What if, like, you know, my daughter needs a ton of childcare? Like, what would that look like
0: too? I love that because Some it's my a, ba- yeah, it's like a range of experiences instead of a plan. It's like preferences or guardrails almost, like what is the worst possible scenario? And how do I put bumpers in place so that if I am waylaid for six months or like I have a baby that needs a tremendous amount of help, it doesn't derail us further, but like we can survive that. And how do I put you know guardrails in place if I do want to go back to work at six weeks? And the interesting thing here is it's not just the baby you have to plan for, but it's also the business. Like what happens if the business breaks? Because my business broke over maternity leave, just like Vanessa's. And I was so fascinated to hear her story. And then you know what's interesting, and I don't know how to like word this in the quote right way, but like I felt some relief at hearing somebody who I admire so much and who has such an amazing business. It's not shot in Florida. I want to be clear that it's not that, but like, oh, like things didn't work out. oh, like you're just like me, you know, <laughs> like what's the word for yes. when? I just felt a little relief at hearing I don't wish bad on anyone ever, but knowing that like it's clunky behind the scenes sometimes for everyone is just kind of more it makes me feel less alone. It makes me feel like, oh right, like we're all doing our best here.
1: Yes. That's like when I found out that Kristen Wig is like the world's biggest Real Housewives fan. I was like, <laughs> you know what? This woman is so smart and she is at the top of her game and she watches trashy TV just like me. So yes, but no, joking aside. I agree. I think that maybe that's like, you're verbalizing that for me that I was like, well, Vanessa laid all of these amazing plans and it still didn't work out. So I'm not going to plan on mine working out either. I'm just going to try to do exactly that, like set up the bumpers, figure out what I need. That's exactly Basically right. like sleep and food and, and that's all I can really count on.
0: So if people missed Whitney's episode or Iman's episode, what are some nuggets that they can take away from you and me recapping them?
1: Yes. Well, okay. So really briefly with Iman, because I I was actually just starting to read her memoir because I was so captivated by your conversation, but she went through this incredible trauma, I think right before the age of seven and lost basically her entire family and support and safety net, like in a moment. And she ended up talking about spending, you know, so much of her adulthood doing this really amazing journey to healing her trauma and her experiences. And she talks about being pregnant and how it sort of reopened, like gave her another opportunity to grieve and to heal losing her mom. This time of like, wow, I'm going to do this without my mom or like, wow, I feel like I think she said she felt really close to her mom because she could imagine why her mom did different things when she was a mother herself. And she also felt herself saying like, how am I supposed to do this? I really wish my mom was here. And I think, I don't know the way, the way that she was able to speak so beautifully about forgiveness. And I think for anyone who's experienced grief in any form in their life, I think this idea of of sitting with your grief and processing it, like the words that she gave to talking about re-grieving her mom while pregnant with her daughter, while that's not like a grief I've experienced, I felt like I used that lens and that compassion and that awareness to like process some of my own grief. Mm. It made a huge impact on me.
0: That's so interesting cuz like I haven't lost my mom. My mom is is living, but we are across the country from each other and I don't see her very often. And I remember in the third trimester of my second pregnancy talking a lot to my therapist about the idea of reparenting. And like yes. Like looking back at your childhood and it's our interpretation of our childhood too, right? It's not that we have to like saddle our parents with lots of blame, but like also our experience of it and realizing like we wished our parents had done something differently. And because of what who we are and what we need as humans, which is kind of like interesting with the doctors, it's the same with parents. It's like our relationship, but our expectations. And she's like, this is an opportunity to reparent yourself in the way that you want to be parented. And it's not about sitting there and hoping that your mom will somehow do this thing that she's never been able to give for you, but asking yourself, how can you provide or create that thing that you need in your own life? And so I ended up in my third trimester. I spent every weekend cooking for myself. Cause I like food is a love language for me. I think it has mm-hmm. something to do with my grandfather growing up in the depression and, and being a, a malnourished newborn. Like I I would, you know, I have no proof to back this up, but I would put a dollar down on like genetic trauma. Right. To, like waking up in my own self. And for me, like not being fed is I'll burst into tears. It's just something that's I work on. And so I ended up taking it into my own hands and I made like four frittatas on one Saturday and like two crusette pots full of tomato sauce and like iron rich beef spinach stew, like tomato stew. And I just filled our freezer to the brim for my future self. And so my mm-hmm. third trimester self was the parent to my future self because I knew that I needed food. And then I l- made this whole list for my husband that was like, I need you to go to Trader Joe's every Monday and like the freezer doesn't feel good to me unless I can't close it. Like unless we're <laughs> duct taping it closed, right? Like <gasps> it's not a normal, it is not like you would look in there and be like, it's too full. And like, if there's three things in there, you'd be like, oh, it's just right. And that's not the way that I'm going to feel. I'm going to feel like people aren't feeding me. So- There's no good, bad, right, wrong. It's just like this awareness of self and like, okay, here's my weird, here's my code.
1: Yes,
0: yes. And then to
1: understand too that in these like particularly vulnerable moments, right, like when you are the food source for another human and you're healing from like some massive physical energy and outpouring and you're tired, Like, is there a more important time in the world for you to feel safe and taken care of? And if you can do like, what I love about what you say is that it's not like, and I'm in charge of taking care of myself and this is my own journey. And like, you know, I can't rely on anyone else. That's not it at all. It's like, I'm giving my future self the gift of this care in this moment. And I am being the person who I want to take care of me. Like I am doing that for myself right now.
0: Okay. So Whitney's episode, which I loved because if you haven't listened to it yet, everyone, I totally fangirl out at the end. And I tell <laughs> Whitney that she's been one of the people to me that I like I love finding mentors and friends and colleagues and people that I can bring into like the wise women's council aspect of what I think is a really good life. But there are people out there who do things that I watch and I admire and I learn from without ever talking to them. Like I read their books and I watch their careers and I just think they are so cool and so interesting and like they serve as mentors to me without me ever having spoken to them. So I told her this at the end. I was like, by the way, I've been invisibly stalking you as a like pseudo mentor forever. And I was just so grateful for her. So Carrie, in this episode, we talked about how to build great teams and how to lead and build really great teams. And she, for people who don't know, for people who haven't listened, she's an innovation specialist and a disruption specialist. And she's been on the Thinkers 50 and she works at Harvard. And her like talking about how to build an A-team actually takes the lens of learning and growth and realizing that everyone's always on a learning curve. And when you get new people, you have to get them onto the learning curve, which is really hard. So all about onboarding. And then they're Mm going to be in their sweet spot between that like 20% and 80%. And then if you're doing your job right as a manager, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as a leader, they're going to get bored. And that means (laughs) you're doing your job right and you have to actually design the next job for them to put them back into the, their next learning curve. And I was just like, like, to me, it was like bells went off because, yeah, people want to be learning. Like people want to be growing. They want to be engaged. And so when you have your top performers getting bored, your job is either – and she said this so beautifully – your job is either to like create the next learning curve for them or find their next job.
1: <sighs>
0: and I, it was just so – For me, like eye opening of like, yes, this is how I think about like development of people. And it's not like once they're out of a job with your team that they should go into exile somewhere. No, they're wonderful, (laughs) amazing people and you should help. And like, honestly, oftentimes you'll be like, you know what? You've outgrown this job, but I have this board over here. I think you should be a part of this board. Or are you going to start your own company now because you're ready?
1: Yes. Okay. Well, and this is so interesting to me because you have been building your own team right startup pregnant mm-hmm. team and so was this stuff that you had I mean you said you were fangirling her so let's be honest <laughs> is this something you've like read about and we're thinking about in building this or does this give you a new lens as you're building the team like how does that impact you Sarah today
0: Oh, what an interesting question. So she wrote She wrote two books before this. One of them is Dare, Dream, Do, and it's about the power of dreaming and building your career, which I just love. I forget the second book. So we might put it in the show notes. The we disrupt, might not. Disrupt Yourself. Oh, Yeah. Before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Disrupt yourself. And then I was like, I forget the name. Mm. And then the third one is build an A team. So how to build like a great team. You know, that's interesting. I didn't read the book before I started building Startup Pregnant. So it's influenced me. But the the keyword I have when I think of Startup Pregnant is resilience. And I I take to heart the idea that we need to build really resilient structures, systems, and teams. So it's why I have you and Angela in on all the coaching calls that we do for our mastermind because, hey, I might... Newsflash, get laryngitis, right? Like, I might, my kiddos might get sick. I might get sick. And I don't want everything I'm building to grind to a halt just because I'm no longer functional. I don't have any full time employees. I have four contractors and one person. And I've joked with you, Carrie, about this that like our collective hours are still less than like one healthy adult, 20 year old male. (laughs) 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 Like, (laughs) cause I don't, I don't even work 40 hours a week. So, like, all together now we have one employee in total. But we have five humans. And so I take inspiration from her in terms of building resilient systems and processes so that, like, if I have to take a maternity leave or one of my employees' contractors gets pregnant, like, that we can do that and this whole system won't grind to a halt.
1: Yes. Okay. So this, I remember when you and I were talking about startup pregnant early days. You were talking about this idea that, like, if your company cannot handle a person going on maternity leave, then, like, how well set up is your company? How resilient is your company? This is one example of a million different examples of what might happen. And the idea that building in parental leave to any size company, including one that is just you, is, like, how you become resilient. And then, of course, there are a million other things like laryngitis, you know, child with diarrhea, et cetera, that come up. But I I feel like I've taken that to heart from the get-go. Like, how do I set up my own life with a certain amount of, like, buffer zone, resiliency, other options. So that way it's not one of those things where when you need a break the most is when you're like letting people down or feeling really upset or like feeling distraught about it. You can just take your break.
0: So now I wanna turn to... A special segment called In the News. <laughs> Basically, I just want to ask you what, and we'll go popcorn back and forth. Um, what are three things that you've been watching, reading, or listening to that have really stood out to you this month? You start because I know that you've been watching a certain Netflix documentary, okay. not documentary. Yes.
1: <laughs> no, but it's real life. So it kind of counts. Okay. So Amy Schumer, who I don't know. I'm not... Up to date enough to know if she's actually given birth yet, but if she hasn't, she's very, very close. And she does a comedy special in New York when I think she's late in her second trimester or in her early third. And she just like nails it. If you are a person, if I mean, she has this one moment. So she has hyperemesis graverum or whatever that is, where you're just like so insanely, miserably sick, hospitalized to get fluids, like all kinds of things. And she tells this joke about people who have like glowing, wonderful pregnancies and how she's like, you know, my hope for you is just that you like, I don't know that you're like, car sort of rolls off the side of a cliff and you know, the, like the delivery of it. my husband and I were just dying laughing because I'm not a great pregnant person. And of course I don't want anyone's car to roll off a cliff, but just to have someone say aloud, all these things you're thinking like she is, it's, I don't know. It's so funny. And there's a part with her belly button and band-aids. And once you watch this, I will not give it away. But once you watch the special, like you will die because it's everything you've been thinking. So yes, if you've been pregnant, want to be pregnant, I was amazed actually how much my husband loved it. And I think just like from living with a pregnant person, he saw himself in these experiences. Like at one point, Amy's talking about how when she's really sick, her husband comes up and like puts his hand gently on her shoulder and she looks at him and is like, oh, excuse me. Like, what do you want? Like, I'm over here and you're over there and we're not touching. And my husband and I were just dying laughing because when I'm like sick and not feeling well, I'm the exact same way. So (laughs) I basically, I couldn't get enough of it.
0: Everyone I've talked to, I've been like, oh, I'm watching the pregnancy special because I did it. What is it called? Growing, I think. Yes. And oh, my friend made a joke. She was like, your next special has to be called crowning. (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is amazing. She hasn't given birth yet. I just saw her on Instagram talking about how hard it is to get socks on in your third trimester. Yes,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> Honesty. Thank you, Amy.
0: Totally. So, full disclosure: I really did not like her earlier special. I watched the leather special after I watched the pregnancy one, and I was really disappointed by it. I did not like it at all because
1: no, I haven't watched the leather one yet. I just loved the pregnancy one so much. The
0: okay. pregnancy one was amazing. The leather one. We can talk about that if you watch it and you want to chat about it with me next time. We can do that. Okay. Number two of Things that we're watching, reading, or listening to. For me, it was this Guardian article about how all of like tech and machine things are designed with men's bodies in mind and how dangerous it is to women. It was yes. shocking. Like the art, it's a, it's long form and it's everything from like the size of your smartphone in your hand is made for a man's hand. So women can't reach with their thumbs the emergency dial. Like, we can't open things with one hand the way that men can. We have to use two hands on our phones. And it was just mind-blowing to me. And then, like, we haven't designed safety seatbelts in cars for not only – they're for men's bodies. Women's bodies and frames are smaller, but we also have not accommodated pregnant women's bodies. So pregnant women die the most in car crashes. I was just – so I'll okay. link that article in the show I'm notes. I'm so
1: curious. So is this written by the same woman who just wrote the book Invisible Women? Yes. And it's something about how, okay, okay. So that's why we're talking, okay. So I'm getting that from the library. I'm next up on the list and I will report back more fully on it. But I was so fired up because I heard her speaking on NPR and she was talking about how the way that we diagnose heart attacks, like yeah. the shortness of breath and the tightness and like the pain in your right arm women don't experience that. So our misdiagnosis for women experience heart attacks is like astronomical. And it's it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't know, that's all I've ever heard. I don't know anything about heart attacks, you know, very fortunately for me. But if I were to know anything, it would be those exact symptoms. And just like, yeah, women are dying in car accidents, and they're dying in hospitals, and they're, you know, not hitting the emergency button. Because the world wasn't meant for us. Oh, the big thing for me, too, because I'm always cold, is talking about how, like, the temperature of places is based on men and what they're wearing. Like, if you've ever been at a wedding where you're in a dress and a guy's in a suit and you are freezing because it's, like, 65 in a ballroom, you're like, this isn't for me. Like, this obviously isn't for me.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So I'm going to link up this Guardian article and it's by the same author as the book because the funniest thing, it's not funny, but she starts with a really funny anecdote about holding up a bone, an antler that has, it's an anthropology professor. And there's this bone that has 28 marks on it. And the professor goes, this is alleged to be man's first attempt at a calendar. And everyone looks at the bone in admiration. And then the professor goes, tell me what man needs to know when 28 days have passed? I suspect this was woman's first attempt at a calendar.
1: Yes, queen. Oh, my God. That is amazing. Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. I don't think men are charting 28 days. Ah. I think women are. They're like, and then the blood will come again. So I'll link this article up. Carrie, is there anything else on your radar that people should be watching, listening, or reading for number three? Well,
1: just today, I spent not a ton of time, but a little bit of time on Instagram this morning, and I am so fired up by AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And the, like, ass-whooping she gave the House today responding to the response to the Green New Deal, which was the idea that environmental concerns are elitist. Oh, I saw part of that. Oh, my God. I just it's so interesting, right? Because you get so used to, I shouldn't say you, I get so used to like when I view government or people in power, seeing older white men behave themselves in a certain way. And then you see her, you know, using this forceful body language, like looking people in the eye, being so forceful in how she speaks and so clear and so, Eloquent and heartfelt simultaneously, that it like gave me chills because there has never been someone like her, you know, never been exactly her before, but never been someone like her. And just the way she is exploding this idea of what is possible of what is the right way to govern of like, what is important. I just like... I don't know. I've always admired her, but seeing her today talk about something that I'm really passionate about and to hear her rebut it so forcefully just like gave me chills. So
0: I know exactly what you mean. And I am, I will say this, like, regardless of whether or not I agree with her positions, because I have a, we well, can talk about my politics in a, in another episode, <laughs> yeah. right? But I am, I am both like a advent feminist and also I'm like more cautious when it comes to how we implement things. But Despite whether or not I agree or disagree with her positioning, I also got chills because I was so fired up about seeing what the potential for a new conversation in our Congress could look like. If we have it, just get out the old stuff and not old in like ageism, but like the tired, the not critical thinking, like fresh voices, wherever they come from on the spectrum and being opening up a new conversation. And for me, having a conversation that's like, full of clarity and good language and like debating the points again and not being so just stuck in the trenches the way it feels like our g- current government is just abysmal, well, and horrifying. And that's
1: like, I have to give a shout out to Jacinda Ardern, right? Who like the youngest current sitting female leader of a country of New Zealand, who also gave birth while in office, whose yes. partner is the full-time caretaker who. After you know the terrorist attack on the mosque in Christchurch, like just was simultaneously a beacon of empathy and like love and caring and nurturing for these families one on one who needed it, and then such a forceful, powerful leader and so right, so strong in her convictions and her actions, and I just thought like we are just beginning to understand these various archetypes of leader because we haven't gotten to see many women in these positions. And so from Alexandria to Jacinda, like we have so many opportunities for all of our minds to be exploded by what it looks
0: like to have women
1: in power. Yes, yes, up about that. No oh, matter yeah. their politics, I'm pumped up about that.
0: Yes, and I want to be. I want to like. We're gonna have to find more ways of talking about this because it's not like, oh, let's not talk politics. I'm never gonna say that on this podcast because I think like it's exactly the opposite. It's let's talk, let's have a conversation, and let's make sure that we are articulate and nuanced and know that there's lots of different like points of view. And that's what I have felt like is missing so much from this and I'm so grateful to see that there's more points of view and there's more representation yes. and I'm in love with the use of Instagram and like the stories and I'm just like fuck, yes. Like here we go. At least I hope yeah. that's that's what's happening. Yes. Because there's so <sighs> This is like the the thesis of start a pregnant, right? There's no one version of motherhood. Like we aren't going to arrive at like a beautiful picture perfect golden pot at the end of the rainbow and say like and now everything is solved. Like we're going to have to fight for the things that we believe in. We are going to have to figure out ways to disagree, but we don't have to disagree and have it be ugly. We can disagree and find a place to meet in the middle. Mhm.
1: Yes, and I, and I think that that's it like as I think that that's what Jacinda Ardern, and particularly, showed me was just like there is place for empathy and conversation, even in these really hard places, you know. And then there's a time to really fight and stand up for what you believe in. But I think that there's so much room for not just women, but for feminine energy to exist in these conversations, like to allow for spectrums of gray, to allow for finding empathy for people's stories that you don't necessarily immediately connect to. Like there's just so much room for there to be more depth and exactly, as you said, more nuance in this conversation. And I think that there's something to be said about feminine energy, just holding more space for more opinions and then creating, you know, it's about coalition building and creating like solving problems using many points of view. And I think that that
0: is exciting. So my husband just texted me and he said, got boob, question mark. My child needs to be fed. (laughs) There's a hungry baby on (laughs) your way. There's a hungry baby. So on that note, as always, conversation to be continued, right? Because this conversation hasn't stopped since we've started having it. And Carrie, I'll see you back here in a month for the next version of this. I can't wait. And, you know, I always say this and I mean it. Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs, and I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.